0: Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of my uh, podcast. For those of you that are listening, um, I'm super excited about this. For those of you that are watching, hello. Uh, I have the uh, awesome uh, Nigel Wilson uh, on, and Nigel is an AI expert and a genuine uh, AI expert on this. Uh, Nigel currently has his own business, Awaken AI. I met Nigel when he was at uh, Microsoft, and he presented um, at a session I was at, and he blew my mind. First time anybody's actually been able to explain uh, quantum computing to me in quantum computing to me in simple terms that a mere mortal like I could understand. And we'll come on to that uh, in a minute. But um, Nigel, uh, who, what, why, when, where? A bit of background on on you before we kick things uh, kick things off.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you set expectations with awesome and expert. I mean, how do I, how do I live up to that?
0: Um, but yeah, so
1: I guess um, in terms of background, I've been in the, in the industry, the technology industry for a great number of years, um, kind of across lots of different sectors. I was at Microsoft for the last 20 years, um, and uh, when we met, I was CTO for professional services in Europe. Um, kind of looking after the big four in professional services and uh, really I was kind of helping them with kind of innovation and uh, near future technologies and obviously artificial intelligence and some of the future technology like quantum computers were, were part of that. Um, I left Backender last year um, really because I wanted to do something different uh, under really good circumstances I've continued to do bits and pieces with kind of Microsoft since um, but I really wanted to kind of focus on um, kind of my own business, and kind of uh, having, I guess, a little bit more of an independent voice into some of these conversations, um, and and also kind of be a little bit more kind of future looking. So absolutely things like quantum computing, DNA storage, you know, some of the exciting technologies that are up and coming, but also um, kind of really leveling that out with kind of actually where we are, the reality of where we are at the moment, and the current state of artificial intelligence, and also some of the ethical and societal implications of of, of that as well.
0: Cool. So, uh, artificial intelligence. What is it? Is it um, Arnie and Skynet, and um, <laughs> it's all game over, and the robots are going to uh, take? Or maybe I mean in the current climate. Maybe they do a better job. Who knows? Um, so, is it that, or is it not as as kind of Hollywood uh, makes us believe it is?
1: Yeah, I, I guess, you know, you can't have a conversation around artificial intelligence without bringing up the Terminator, can you?
0: Um,
1: and and I guess, you know, one of the kind of cautions would be, you know, be careful what you wish for, if if that's kind of the future that you kind of are thinking of. But um, I guess what's referred to a lot in the movies is something that's called artificial general intelligence, which is, you know, the point that um, uh, technology and, um, and kind of algorithms can think in the same way that we do or be intelligent mm-hmm. or, or actually be more intelligent than we are. And you know, and the reality is that we are um, many, many years off of that. And uh, I suspect, suspect, you know, way outside of kind of my lifetime. Um, um, and, and also I think when we achieve artificial general intelligence, um, it will probably start to redefine actually what intelligence is. Mm-hmm. Um, but the moment where we are is something that's called artificial narrow intelligence. So AI that is good at specific tasks, so, you know, I guess an example of that would be, you know, Amazon Alexa, where it's 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 pretty good at recognising our voice and kind of what we're asking for and coming back with a response. But, um, you know, if you ask it to make a cup of tea or well, you could try asking it and you get an interesting response back. Um, so AI at the moment is very, very narrow, very specific to the task that we ask it to do, um, but still very much also an emerging technology, even though the term's been around since the 50s. Mm-hmm. The technology is still very much emerging. Um, and one of the challenges that we see, to be honest, in the industry um, is that technology outpaces the, the government, the governance and, um, and kind of legislation as well. So, you know, quite often we see we come up with these kind of great ideas of what we can use the technology for, but actually the governance and the legislation is slightly behind it. Um, so no, no Terminator future for us, I don't think, um, but um, a, a useful tool, definitely.
0: So in terms of things like what would then one describe uh, Tesla, that's still in the, at the artificial narrow intelligence field, even though what it's doing seems pretty impressive in around a quasi autonomous car
1: yeah so things like self-driving cars i mean again you know when, when i was a lad which was a little while ago now it was the, the dream was of flying cars in the future which we never quite got to achieve although with drones maybe um so similarly with tesla you know tesla's intent to have a self-driving car i think we're still quite a quite a way off from you know from achieving that but the thing that's been interesting is on the journey to trying to achieve it, is there all all these other technologies that have come about yeah. which are helping the current cars. So things like, um, you know, when you start to move outside of the lane you're on, because it's looking at the white lines and, yeah. um, and and also kind of 360 cameras that are looking at who's in front of you, who's behind you and kind of warning you if stuff's getting too close. So I think what we're starting to see is, although the, you know, the actual end goal, um, you know, some say may never actually be achieved, Um, And again, there may be that the reason might not be technological, might actually be societal uh, in terms of do we want a machine to make decisions as to kind of whether we knock over a small child over here or elderly person in the road over here. But the technology on the road to that um, is definitely going to, you know, enhance, enhance our lives. And I think that's true of kind of AI across the
0: board. Cool. So bring this into kind of the business world then. Where you mentioned the, you know CTO professional services at Microsoft, so working with the the big four around kind of future looking, et cetera, et cetera. W- what is it that you were seeing or advising on in kind of that space that you were helping them think differently or how this you know, technology could support whatever it was they, they were doing, either for themselves, I guess, or, or for, for respective, I guess, client bases that were crossing over between Microsoft and, and, and themselves.
1: Yeah. So, so I think from a, well, both from a sales point of view and, you know, from a general business, if you Mm -hmm. think about, you know, the kind of services there are kind of legal, accountancy, audit, uh, all of those kind of businesses. um, They were all looking at broadly similar things and, and, um, you know, prior to COVID and I would say probably even more so now, customer expectations were going up. So, so what you were going to provide in the way of, a service to a customer their expectations were higher in terms of the quality that you were going to offer them um but their expectations about were that the price was going to be cheaper um because of you know they hear about things like automation um so customer expectations rise um price goes down and that means that you can't do the same thing as you were doing kind of last year or the year before because yeah. you're not cost effective to the customer anymore so they're all looking at the same thing how do they um Increase the number of customers that they can handle Mm -hmm. at the same time as driving cost and uh, cost down and speed up Um, And automation is is kind of part of that so early days was kind of robotic process automation where you just basically look at very uh, manual repetitive tasks uh, Like entering stuff into a spreadsheet or looking up web pages on a on on the internet and automating those kind of processes mm-hmm. but that then kind of starts to move to how do you apply real artificial intelligence to that uh, and so some of the things they would look at were automatic report writing so mm-hmm. you know maybe we're having a conversation like this as kind um, of you, you know as you as the customer uh, and afterwards I would want to do a report for you so how do we ch- transcribe the conversation that we're having automatically using artificial intelligence, language recognition, text to speech, speech to text. Um, How do we do some kind of analysis of the conversation that we've had and cut out the kind of chit chat from it, put that into a report format and not send that to the client. It was always a kind of case of, right, that's now ready for review. So there's always the human in the process. Mm -hmm. But if we could say, you know, say 50% of the amount of time in a client interview, You know, that means that we can have exponentially more kind of clients that we deal with. And so it was the early days of looking at. And I guess the the findings basically were the technology was starting to be in a good place to be able to um, kind of help with some of that, but not quite there yet in some of the some of the areas. But that didn't mean that it got discounted because the exponential rate of change in technology means that you don't have to wait years for it to be Mm -hmm. better. Could only be a few months Um, And and also with companies like Microsoft and Amazon, you know, they take customer feedback now kind of on a weekly, on a monthly basis. So some of these new features kind of getting added on a regular basis. Um, And all of this automation helps with whatever process, whether that be a sales kind of cycle and Mm -hmm. kind of how you know your customer. um, Or whether it's, you know, an accountancy company or whether it's a legal company that are offering legal services. The more you can automate then the more customers you can have and the lower you can drive the price. And I guess that was the, the you know, the overall theme.
0: And it's interesting because robotic, so oh, robotic process automation, again, I think this is the, 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 the challenge of maybe some of the vernacular is like, we're not actually necessarily talking robots physically doing someone's <laughs> no. job. It's a piece of code, ultimately, a, a computer program, which then just, you know, run, executes upon whatever you, um, you say. And I guess you know, the, the, it's words like automation, Driving the price down, mm. then people start thinking, okay, well, we're, we're basically on a we're on a, a arms race to the to the bottom, if you uh, if you will. What does that mean for roles and and people and uh, and the societal impacts? You know. Mm not irrespective is the wrong word, because obviously we're going through the, the current crisis we're going through at the moment is, you know, the humanitarian side of that is, is insane, but you know, we're yeah. going to come out, we are going to come out the other side of that. And I guess part of what all of this has done, is the, the, the speed of digitization that this, is, this has increased, but you know we're not necessarily talking about replacing people. And I think you before we went live, you mentioned this, is around using technology and software to um, augment and augment roles. And I like the fact that you actually said that this is the report isn't then sent out automatically. It requires that that human intervention to sense check things. So I guess this technology is not perfect and things can go go wrong or it can misinterpret something, which can send you off down, you know, in a completely different place.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's a kind of massive um kind of reputational risk. Um, kind of more, more than anything else, if the technology goes wrong and you just need to look at Cambridge Analytica and some of the other kind of example, clear view in the US, other examples of kind of where, you know, heavily technology based companies have done something that would be considered to be on the borders of kind of what's ethically right, um, and paid the penalty for, for kind of doing it. So it's, it's definitely an Im- important consideration. Um. The, the whole kind of question of is AI going to take my job has been one that's um, been around for a long time, and I think um, 18 months back the BBC did something on their website where you could kind of you know describe mm-hmm. the job you did and it would yeah. kind of tell you whether you were going to be replaced by a robot or not. Um, but you're absolutely right, the robots we're talking about are software robots, not actual physical Terminator-type robots that are keyboards. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, the, the jury's still out. Um, And for every report that I see that somebody from credible sources that somebody says, you know, we are going to head into a a kind of time when there's going to be mass unemployment. There is another report that says, actually, this is going to be a great opportunity and create more jobs, more jobs than actually get replaced by automation. I think the reality is that, um, you know, jobs will change. I mean, Mm -hmm. we no longer live in a time when you go to university, you, you, kind of like learn a trade or something come from university and you apply that for the rest of your life that none of us are in that situation anymore um we have to constantly learn and relearn um our kind of trade as we we go through and i i I think providing that we are able to do that then you know we'll keep on the right side of the kind of automation side of things the one worry I, i kind of have i guess around automation is that Um, We can say that the jobs that are replaced are low-skilled jobs, so that enables the kind of people that were doing those jobs to take on higher-skilled functions. But what we need to remember is there are certain parts of society um, that are always going to be sat in that kind of low-skill side of things so that will be the the jobs that they feel kind of comfortable doing and it will be hard to retrain them to do the jobs Mm -hmm. that are kind of you know maybe kind of higher higher skill so we need to make sure in this i think is what i'm saying that we bring everybody along on the journey um and this is not just a reskilling of the people within our organizations as their jobs are replaced with higher skill ones but also with maybe low skilled workers to be able to kind of bring them into um into kind of other jobs as we as we you know try and transform through um, through the new job future
0: indeed i 'm I'm, I'm on the, the the positive side of things if you look at the world of what social media has done in terms of it 's created an entire market in terms of uh, roles and marketing roles that have been born out of that and how social media now impacts everything that we um, uh, that we do and there 's the old adage that you know the, the luddites going in to smash the printing presses because it was going to replace them and so on but you know, we, we move and uh, we move and evolve with the um, with the times. And I think actually, you know, what current the current climate is, has shown is actually some people can be really, really innovative and pivot very, very um, quickly. You know, I'm a big barbecue fan. And it's like all the um, kind of dare I say it, the the hipster burger joints around London have moved so quickly to actually delivering their DIY burger kits online. Yeah. Through, you know, through, through, they do they plug in, plug in payment system, plug into WhatsApp, plug into Instagram, get their menus done into the logistics system, which shows then works out all delivery times for them how, what, why, where. And they're mm-hmm. actually probably doing more revenue now than they were when they were relying on footfall of people going into, you know, their their small burger joints or their, you know, their, their things on the, um, uh, in, in the market. So it gives me great, I think we're, there's going to be some huge positives which come out of where, um, where we're at. What's interesting for me is kind of this AI place in, well, I guess, A, the the, the lack of kind of understanding of it, but in the sales and marketing world of actually how it can be, it can be helpful. But I do fear that, are we going too far down the automation route? And what I mean by that is sales engagement technology is kind of the new thing at the moment, We're probably 18 months, two years behind where the US is on this. So for those that aren't familiar with sales engagement technology, this is your sales loft or your outreach are probably the two biggies. I think you probably almost put sales navigator to a certain extent into um, uh, into that. That'd be Microsoft AI for sales, which is the Microsoft product. I think Salesforce has got um, Einstein is uh, is their one yeah and the idea being is that as you as a salesperson you come in in the morning and this system literally tells you these are the people who are going to email these are the people you're going to call these are the people you're going to do um social outreach to here's a templated xyz click a button and off you go and um i believe it was outreach last week or week before this raised another 50 million dollars i think in series a or something which now values them at um 1.1 billion dollars and justin michael who i'm getting on next week um around this you know he, he shared a post saying there's 6.3 million salespeople around the world and he believes that up to 70 75 percent of a salesperson's role can be automated do i agree with that i don't know we're gonna have a have a debate but where my kind of question is where is this going to take us it's like what is the point of a salesperson if they're literally just coming in and basically being an order taker <laughs> you're mm. literally having a robot just telling you what to do not a robot but a software program telling you what to do
1: yeah yeah so it's a great point um so just tracking back to the one of the points before that um so one of the things with professional services when you used to go to the conf- when we were when we had conferences and we went to them um and i used to talk you, you know it was interesting so if you talk to the big four and you say what are you worried about um they're worried about all of the smaller professional services companies if you speak to the smaller professional services companies and ask them what they're worried about, they're worried about the, the big four. And they're all worried about each other taking each other's business. And the message always was to the smaller companies, don't worry, because actually you're in the better position. And for the reasons that you said, cloud technology, scaling up, scaling down. You know, your burger example is a brilliant one because the number of websites that are spun up over you know, the, the period of COVID to offer services is, is just absolutely a plethora of them now. But you can spin stuff up and down, you can scale out and you can pick, compete with big companies really easily. So I think that's that's incredibly, uh, incredibly important and kind of powerful. And, and I think to your other point around um, kind of how much can you replace of a salesperson's kind of function? I think back to the, you know, I think to the chatbot experience. So yep. lots of these places now you go on side onto a website and it says, do you want to chat? Um, and it's quite obvious to start with, you're having a, a you know, hello, how are you? It's a, it's a chatbot. So it's a piece of software at the back end that you're having a, a conversation with. Um, but the really good um, uh, chat software now is intelligent enough to understand if you're getting frustrated with some of the, the answers that, you mm-hmm. know, it's giving you or some of the kind of nuances in your conversation and reroute you to a person. And the person then takes over and says, you know, I'm here, you know, I'm here to help and whatever. So I think of this as the sales process is, yes, I think of a lot of the sales process can be automated, but the bits that you automate are the bits that are the kind of routine bits. Mm -hmm. And you recognize the point that your customer might be getting to a point where actually they don't want you to be speaking to an automation or they don't want an automated process. They want to be handed over to a human and to be, you know, to be, you know, handheld through a process. So, I think the key thing is to understand where automation ends and where people start and to have a graceful handover between the two um because in the chatbot experience if it's you a whole bunch of questions about who you are and where you live and what you know what services you're after and all the rest of it you don't want to then speak to a person and have to answer all those questions there again um so it's the kind of whole know know your customer piece and so from a um you know whether it's a crm system or kind of whatever's at the back end to be able to have some automation, but then pass the right information on to a real person to be able to say, I'm just picking up the conversation and I understand this is what you're looking for. And, you know, I'm here to kind of help you through, um, is the right way of doing things. And so do I think that 75% of all salespeople could be replaced? Um, some might you some of your viewers might be kind of shouting yes at the screen right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: but, please God replace Yes, them. yeah, please,
1: please. <laughs> um, and, and the answer to that is, Probably over time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but those people will then go on to do, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, the kind of higher function tasks yeah. and, and give more value. Um, and, and that's 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 right. And that's the way that things should be. But we also always need to be conscious of, you know, it, people work best when they're interacting with people and technology is great to augment but not to replace. And then the minute that you start to replace, then you can get into some kind of um, some deep water and you can get some issues uh, and you don't want to hand your business over to an algorithm. I think with the, uh, with things as
0: they are at the moment. You don't want to hand your business over to an algorithm. There's a quote if ever I, uh, if ever I heard one <laughs> well, the thing is you, you, you are right. And I'm, I'm a tech, I'm a tech geek and I always try and play with the chatbots just to see what it's like, I had some good experiences and crap experiences, but actually it's the time when, I'm happy to go through a pretty basic process where, uh, and I, you know, I trust technology, I trust systems, they've all got my data anyway, so you know, it is what it is, right? Doing online payments and all, all this thing, but it's typically when something goes wrong, that's then when I want to talk to a human being mm. straight away, and it's when you get kind of stuck in the foot. press, mention you know, menu one, then press, you know, whether it's on the phone or through the things. Like, no, I just want to talk to someone because I can't find the um the answer, and that's then you know, kind of all that that brand reputation piece starts to um to come in because that overall uh overall um experience, and I. I think, I think it would also depends on your industry, depending on what you are selling. If you're, you know, stack them high, low volume, yeah. like printer sales type sort of thing, like well, like I was doing Amazon, I don't need a field sales rep to come around and tell me the, the value of printers because I, kind of, I kind of get it. Okay, if you're fully networked and so on and um, so forth, but then inversely. I remember being at one of the big four, uh, again, when we could go to conferences and they had one of their... Um, Uh, experts from the cx uh, side of things but um, they were from the consumer side of things and again talking around you know intent data listening data social listening how you can build all this data and the algorithms can then work out sentiment to a certain extent but start to drive your marketing strategy accordingly and of course the gentleman stood up at the back and went well that's all well and great but i run a a multi-billion dollar SaaS company my clients don't buy that way because it's a two year sales cycle not a you know five minute sales cycle
1: absolutely and of course the,
0: the, the chat couldn't really um respond to it however i do believe that big b2b so big four microsoft's in the world can learn from what organizations are doing at that end of the the scale and the consumer space to leverage this type of technology to augment and improve the overall customer experience. And you know, I'll stop talking in a minute, but I don't know if you've realized Nike have now launched their own app. I think it's crazy that Nike now have gone direct to consumer, whereas their entire you know, history has been, you go to the shop, Foot Locker or you know, Sports Direct or wherever, and now actually you can download the Nike app and have a conversation with Nike directly, build out your profile and, uh, and so on. Anyway, uh, thoughts.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And the, the kind of Nike one's interesting because now with automation of processes and kind of, you know, making the shoes and things like that, you can custom, I know Reebok we're doing it, you can custom design your shoe yeah. through an app and then just have this, you know, your colors and all the rest of it turn up at your doorstep. So there's a lot of upside to it. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I agree with um, kind of a lot a lot of what you've said. I, I think, you know, my point about the, the kind of algorithm and kind of where this fits, and there was a great, great example in the press last week. I won't mention names, but people can kind of find it. Um, there was a company that decided they were going to um, replace their journalists with an algorithm. So they were going to use artificial intelligence to kind of um, write and uh, propagate press stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did one and they did one um, on the band Little Mix. Yep. And because of the facial recognition software was, is, is still not as good as it needs to be. And certainly if you're from an ethnically diverse mm-hmm. background, it's not good. It got two of the band members around the wrong way. Right. So that was bad enough in the first instance. So one is we have replaced all the people. We've replaced them with artificial intelligence and an algorithm. Um, that's not a great move. The second one is um, that algorithm has made a mistake. Mm-hmm. The third one is it was um, creating news stories. So others in the press reported on the fact that its algorithm had picked up the fact that this was, you know, two of the band members were, were incorrect and made that news story. So it then rep- started reporting on those news stories. Um, So it was propagating its own mistake through other news stories. And so at that point, they decided people needed to step in and start to stop some of this. But it was generating so many news stories that people couldn't stop, the people's, the human side of it, couldn't stop the amount that it was creating. Um, So when I say, don't trust your business to an algorithm, um, that's a great example of if you always keep a human somewhere in the loop there, then you you stop those kind of problems from happening. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's, that's when we're looking at automation and when we're looking at automation of processes and sales processes, that is immensely damaging from a reputational point yeah. of view if you start to have those things happening. So um, and it's, avoid, it's easily avoidable and it's what I call unintended consequences. Nobody started out with yeah. the kind of point of, you know, oh, this is going to happen. You, you don't know what's going to happen. So tread carefully and, and safely each step um keep people involved in the process and then hopefully you'll have kind of happy outcomes at the end of it i
0: was going to say artificial intelligence isn't that intelligent but this is the thing at the end of the day it requires a human programmer to program that and there may well be you know bias or the unintended consequences that come from it. it's like the whole thing in terms of a autom- if we get to fully autonomous cars at some point the car's got to make a decision to kill someone yeah is it the granny is it the kids is it the and then who's who who is right to make that decision in terms of ultimately because as a as a human in the in the split second reaction we're all different we're going to do things in a different but a system is just following a set of rules right it's just following a set of rules the programmer has, has written an executing um, upon it i think there was another st- way back when i think it was amazon had to turn off their ai recruiting tool yeah. they were tr- all good intentions trying to make it less biased towards um pale male, stale white men, but what they hadn't thought about is the data they were training it on. And all the data was all the historical recruiting data, which was, was guess what, exactly the people they were trying to stop it leaning towards. And then actually what, it made, what happened, it became even more biased towards filtering out everybody else and keeping the, the white man in, you know, in situ because it was literally yeah. just following instructions. Well, I guess is that the other piece, I was talking about a um, Johnson on this the, the other day, is that your data set is as important, if not, I guess, more important than the actual program itself.
1: Uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's what I call lazy AI. So it, it's kind of where the person that has kind of decided to do something hasn't even tried to think through the implications of kind of yeah. what they're doing. And you're absolutely right. Um, and, you know, and it's a hard conversation to have this, right? The whole one about kind of bias and ethics and, mm-hmm. and racial diversity is a hard one to have. But, but, you know, when you get, you know, like you say, you know, white male of a certain age, um kind of decides he's going to write an algorithm and he's going to write it uh for facial recognition so he just goes onto facebook and pulls all the pictures of his mates out or instagram or whatever they are all of a, a type because yeah. that's his circle of kind of influence. When yeah. actually, what we need is we need the diversity. Mm-hmm. So, at the point that we don't develop algorithms, lazy AI like that, and we involve a, a, you know, a diverse set of people from ethnicity, from gender, from all of those kind of things, you don't get those kind of mistakes. Yeah. Um, and, and surely it's worth it from a reputational point of view not, not to make it so you know i'm i'm kind of all for boring ai and all of those things but let's not have lazy ai
0: <laughs> no n- indeed and so in terms of let's kind of blow some let's let's go kind of all or futuristic now um so okay. when when well when um when i met you for the for the first time in person we we're following you on um on twitter and um uh, and linkedin you had a brilliant three slides which explained a uh, quantum and what quantum can potentially bring in terms of quantum computing. And I'll try and, I'll try and explain it um, Explain it in terms of visual. So imagine that uh, you are trying to complete a maze, and in order to complete that maze, you have to go through every iteration to then get to the, the right answer. For a computer program in current uh, computing terms, it has to do that one, it has to do each, each thing one at a time, so each maze option has to be done Con- um, sequentially. So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, so on. Quantum, I remember when you showed this, the whole audience went, Oh my God, now I get it. That's the hmm. same. Quantum can do all the calculations simultaneously. So, you can solve the maze almost instantly without having to go through those sequential um, pieces to, uh, to go through that. And from that point onwards, it's just stuck in my head. And I use that to explain when people ask, how do, you know what, what is quantum? I'm like, Well, I'm no expert, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this guy, Nigel. So, where, where, where are we on the quantum journey and what are the, what are what are the implications of what this potentially could mean for business society life as we know
1: it? yeah so i mean it's great yeah you described that brilliantly um and that's shaw's algorithm by the way a guy called peter shaw who wrote the algorithm that enables that kind of stuff to happen um so where are we on this what there's what we know and what we don't know so we know that um a certain a certain nation uh, has been looking into um, kind of quantum crypt- cryptography and satellite transmissions and been quite successful in doing it. full details of which we don 't know The stuff we do know is the likes of kind of Microsoft and Google and IBM mm-hmm. uh, have all been working on quantum technology now for some time and it is groundbreaking it is um, you know in the same way as we kind of like moved from the abacus to the, to the the pc that we know and love now, we will move from the pc. Um, to quantum computer and it will be a similar uh, kind of shift, exponential Mm -hmm. shift in terms of the technology. Um, The kind of things that it enables is um, it's not just enabling everything faster. So it's not going to make Excel or Word go any faster. um, um, But what it will be able to do is computationally um, kind of process faster, as you Mm -hmm. kind of alluded to. Um, So the other example is center of a maze. Not everybody wants to get to the center of a maze, but actually one of the challenges that we've had over covid is how we distribute stuff logistically mm-hmm. um, and logistical problems with classical computers are pretty challenging if you give it two or three paths and kind of uh, to, uh, or routes to try and get to it starts to it starts to struggle as you kind of build that out with quantum yeah. computers they're really good at logistical programs and and Shor's algorithm is that that example um but but also, they're really good at other things. So if we look at, uh, again, you know, kind of a, I guess a COVID or um, kind of pandemic um, kind of comparison would be, when we're looking at um, new drugs. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of the drugs that we we needed to do, and you, you, you heard it on the news, we need to kind of test drugs on kind of people. And so a thousand people come forward and we test it on those kind of people and we see what the effects are and then move on to the next set and all the rest of it. And we're, so we're constantly iterating the type of drugs and the kind of people and monitoring the outcome. With quantum computing, there's this ability to do something that uh, is called, and we can do it classical to some degree, in silico. So it's in silicon. So basically you take the DNA of a person and you represent that kind of person in, in, in silicon mm-hmm. um, in, in a computer program. And then what you do is you test synthetic drugs against that synthetic person and you see what the outcome is. We can do that to a degree now, but it's really slow. Um, in the quantum world, it means that we'll be able to process not every... Uh, kind of gender type, diversity type, um, you know, every kind of makeup of a human being on the planet. Mm -hmm. But we can take all of the back catalogue of every drug we've ever had and test it against every person to see what the potential outcome is before we start doing trials. That's in the quantum world. Um, And we're starting to kind of get to that point now where we are really is um, we're looking for this point where a single quantum computer will be more powerful than any of the other computers on the planet combined and that's called quantum supremacy um i think it was ibm last year or maybe google i can't remember um kind of claimed they'd reached that point it was in a very i talked about narrow ai it was in a very narrow task that Mm -hmm. that they achieved it um the rate of change is kind of dramatic uh, and kind of part of the the kind of thing of where we are now is i hope that post COVID that the investment into quantum continues. Cause there is going to be a, you know, maybe a reluctance to put investment into new technology in quite the same way it was before. Yeah. Um, but the rate of progress is exponential. So each year we get a bit closer and a bit closer. Microsoft solutions still a little way, way off. Um, it's a different type of quantum computing to IBM and Google. Google and IBM still making good progress every year. Um, you know, when are we going to have it? It's always a question. When are we going to have a quantum computer then? Um, likely to be a cloud-based service and I I can easily foresee within the next four or five years that we'll have something that will be starting to solve some of what we call these intractable problems around you know climate change, fertilizer production, uh, new drugs but also speed up some of these other algorithms things like you know speech recognition, image recognition Um, so it will definitely kind of uh, help us for for those areas as well. Um, Yeah so Getting there, but always, uh, always a bit of a waiting game. I think it's exciting. It's exciting technology, but still a little bit of a way off yet.
0: But realistically, when within our lifetime, quantum, you think realistic? And quantum at a level that actually it's in, it's in like my my surface, my Surface Pro here, or it's still <laughs> you need to plug into the cloud in order to uh, to run it. I'm guessing. So quantum, being... yeah.
1: So it's. A- I'm never going to say never in terms of it being in a laptop. <laughs> Fine, I won't I But,
0: won't, uh, I, won't but,
1: you. but uh, I mean, given that it's, you know, the, the environment that it needs to run in is kind of cold, colder than the coldest part of space at the moment, it is like minus ridiculous numbers. Right. Um, um, kind of like, you know, never say never, but you, n- you yeah. never know. But there are quantum algorithms now being written already, um, and there are quantum simulators from all of the big technology providers. So actually, we can run quantum calculations now um but they are simulations rather than kind of on you know on the kind of on the real thing so within our lifetime i'm very hopeful because maybe it'll give me another five years on my lifespan <laughs> <laughs> i need that right now
0: <laughs> awesome um so i mean i we could go on talking about this for uh, forever but in terms of you know, the if if any leader is listening to this you know marketing leader, sales leader ceo chief executive they're not really considering AI at the moment, what would be your kind of top three things or whatever your tips would be, the kind of the, the things they need to think about before kind of letting go, you know, letting go on this or investing in it, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, so I think if you're not thinking about AI at the moment, take a real strong, hard look at yourself um, and, and consider whether you've got a future in business or not, right. um, because I think everybody else is looking at it and you're going to find yourself um, kind of overtaken very quickly. So um, I, I think that's the, that's the kind of first thing. Yeah. In terms of kind of where, where to go with it, um, there are three things that kind of make good AI and, and that's data. Um, kind of cloud services and good algorithms so the start of that is data so um, we're all as we know kind of creating massive amount of data every day but that doesn't mean to say it's good data um, so organizations are sat on top of the data sources they've been generating over a period of time um, often in kind of like disparate kind of pools so I think the first thing is uh, you know look at your the data that you're creating already and try and look to do some kind of consolidation of it Um, To your point about um, kind of prediction, uh, predictive analytics, in effect, you know, we know where we are with kind of COVID is kind of blown all of those predictive algorithms out the way. Look at the type of data that was going to be important to you in the the near future. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you're not creating it, look to see how you can create it and create it in a clean way that you can get value from it kind of quickly. So I think that's the third thing. Uh, First thing, look at cloud. Mm -hmm. Um, again you know lots of people on the cloud journey you know why is it so important um, during the kind of COVID because um, those organizations that were using cloud could scale out massively and very quickly almost to a point that it broke some of the cloud service providers because they were asking for so much scale Mm -hmm. but the other really important thing which I think wasn't considered before is you can actually turn it off as well so if you're furloughing your staff and actually you need to kind of go into a bit of hibernation for a time just turn it all off and the costs go away that never goes away if you've got a sunk investment in traditional kind of right. it. That's right. Um, and the third thing was around algorithms. And I said, you know, there's lazy AI and there's mm-hmm. lazy algorithms. If your data set is, you know, not a good data set, then you're not going to have a good outcome. And it's the whole kind of rubbish in rubbish out, you yeah. know, kind of thing of the past. Um, so, Look at um, kind of algorithmically how you're going to get value from your data. Look at, the, um, look at the ethical nature of what you're going to do as well. So, AI ethics is a big kind of growing area. And that is when I start to run algorithms and produce outputs, um, is that a fair and inclusive one from a diverse data set at the back end? So, kind of look at that as well. Um, but I think, you know, I would say overall be excited. Be excited that, you know, post COVID, there is going to be an explosion. In technology. Um, there already has been during and I think it's going to be even bigger afterwards and I hope that that's enough in the, of an explosion to kind of take the kind of jobs market with it uh, and that the, the, some of the redundancies and layoffs that we've seen you know that have kind of happened will be soaked up by the, the explosion in technology that we see in the future.
0: An awesome, positive notes to end on. Thank you. I tried. Nigel, um, <laughs> <laughs> as always, I just—I could talk to you for forever. I, I always enjoy listening to to you and your um your insight. Thanks. Um, else uh, listening and watching, I hope you found that uh, useful. I hope that's answered some questions. Maybe post some more questions uh, for you, Nigel. If people want to find you, where's the best place for them to um, uh, find you?
1: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at. Nigel Wilson. So that's Nigel, uh, with L, Nigel Wilson, uh, double L and Wilson. You can find me on LinkedIn and also through our website, which is awakenai.org.
0: I'll put all those links, um, to the video somewhere here and, uh, on the uh, podcast for those that are listening. Uh, but Nigel, thank you so much for your time. I really do um, appreciate it. And, um, to everybody else listening and uh, watching, thank you for tuning in and uh, I will see you all next week.